Hey everyone, you're listening to Angel Nears the podcast. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community for startup builders where experienced operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Ole Kujikov, and our guest today is George Elfond, CEO and co founder of Rallyware, a top notch e learning and business engagement platform recognized for effective training, talent development, and empowerment of distributed workforce. Today, we're talking to George about various aspects of supercharging a distributed global workforce. But before we get into that, George, welcome to the show. Hi, Oleg. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about you. So why don't you get us started by telling us a bit about yourself and how you came to start this company? Of course. Uh, so by my name, you might not be able to tell this, but I'm originally from Ukraine, was born and uh, and raised there, finished high school and moved with my parents to the U.S., studied undergrad at, uh, here in the Bay Area at UC Berkeley, was very excited about engineering and applied mathematics. Never worked in my life as an engineer per se, but that education has actually helped me a lot in understanding the the trends in technology and entrepreneurship. Moved into business and uh, worked in a couple of uh, analytical roles and then started, started my first company, which was organizing events in Russia and Ukraine for large, large investment events back in the 2006-2007. And then uh, went, did my business school, studied at Wharton for my MBA, and also got my Master's of Public Administration at Harvard Kennedy School, and uh, did a little bit of work in strategy consulting. And at some point, I felt like that my education, my experiences really brought me into entrepreneurial idea. And at that point, the idea was very different from the company that we're building now. It was an idea for Rollerware, and Rollerware was basically a way, like the idea was to build a social network to get people organized around social and political causes, which is very different than uh, what Rollerware is, but what it actually gave me, it's, it gave me an ability to learn how to get people who, are, who don't directly work for you, who are not in the same office with you, how to get them to do things when they don't have to. And as we've been evolving and with a couple of pivots and a couple of trials and errors, we actually realized that that learning, some, some, somebody called it like in a way, in a funny way, like Gandhi in a box, that learning is actually very applicable to the, to the corporate HR and corporate learning environment. Because as companies become very distributed, as work moves from very command and control environment much more into an environment where you have to engage people, where you have to get them excited about what they do, where they work in different countries, in different languages, on different schedules, and, and so forth, how do you get them to actually progress through, through their days? How do you get them... A, to be excited about it and feel completely fulfilled with what they're doing. So hence where we're now, Rollover right now, it's a performance enablement platform. Uh, in a way, we're building our own category within HR tech space. But what performance enablement really is, it's, a, it's an ability, it's a platform to provide personalized learning, onboarding, and engagement activities 
for companies with a lot of remote and distributed workforces. And the key word here is personalized because the, it is very important to in our day and age to actually get people the right activities that are relevant for their specific situation rather than just providing them one-size-fits-all type of experiences. So tell me a bit more about that. How do you offer a more personalized experience than sort of a general one-shoe-fits-all? Excellent, excellent question. And the key here, it's one of the biggest trends that we see in a lot of industries right now, but less so in HR tech and especially in the learning and development. It's the ability to work with the data and ability to, through data-driven algorithms, machine learning, to provide specific activities based on someone's individual performance. Think about salespeople. One of them is maybe kicking it out of the park this month and wants to, to and is very close to reaching their their milestone versus someone who hasn't who's been struggling and uh, not getting not selling maybe a specific key product this month. If you provide them with the same type of training, they're both it's probably going to be wrong training for each of them and they're both would ignore it or do click 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 if they have to complete it. But if you provide the specific activities, if your system knows and could analyze where they stand, how they're doing within the company, and you provide them specific activities based on that, they will be very engaged and very excited and will complete them. And that completion will help them achieve their goals. Same goes outside of selling, like think of customer service, think of any other type of organization where you have a lot of distributed people, they're frontline, they need to do, uh, you as a company want them to do certain things, but how do you get them to do those things? Got it. Right. You want to cater to the individual. So now I understand a little bit better what you meant by personalizing earlier. Now that we know a little bit more about the company, tell us about the market. Why do you think this idea, which I presume you know people have had this similar kind of idea in the past, why do you think your company is going to be big? Uh, absolutely. Like first of all, it's a huge, obviously, learning and development, and especially like with the focus on mobile, and it's a it's a huge market opportunity that's constantly growing, like more than twenty five billion just on the mobile side of it. And there's a lot a lot of things are happening. Historically, obviously, as soon as you've had computers and internet, the idea to bring trainings online was right there. But historically, it's been it's been evolving, and it's been evolving slowly. What we've seen is First, you have you had all your classroom trainings, and then like, oh, why don't we supplement those trainings with some online courses? And then, oh, maybe we can substitute them with online courses. Exactly the same content, exactly the same, the same ideas, but just just do it online so that you don't have to spend time on tra- on trainers. You don't have to get everyone in the same room. Maybe like you don't have to fly people in and so forth. Then the next part in the evolution was, oh, maybe you can split the trainings into smaller pieces so people can actually do it at their own time and don't have to allocate two hours and lose attention right away. Then the mobile revolution came in. So can you get them on the mobile devices and do this much faster? 
and so forth, like all the technological advances have been uh, helping with this. So right now we see what we see in the as a big trend. What is very important is part of it is is data, as I already said. There is a lot of like you use data in pretty much any other aspect of the organization. You use predictive forecasting in finance. You use data for your to identify the best leads in marketing. You use data for your customer support functions. It's been used a lot less on the in the HR and learning and development, and we are we're fixing that in a, in a very important way to provide for personalization. But data is not the only thing that's important. That's a big trend on the market. Another thing, another aspect I said is work is becoming very distributed. It changed from uh, from the very much everyone is in the office, everyone has to be there nine to five. They have a boss who has to take a big stick and just make sure like everybody is is doing what they have to do and com- is completing their trainings to a much more distributed, much more much more remote role. And it it was happening even before COVID, but COVID has really expedited this trend. And one other aspect which is very interesting is the millennials. So the way you work and the way you you actually get the best results by working with the millennials is very different than what is traditionally what has traditionally been out there. I'm always amazed to be at those conferences and to see a panel of of a bunch of people of older generation talking about how to work with millennials and like really theorizing it rather than like really trying it and and uh, and getting maybe getting the right people to to suggest and the right to suggest for that. What is uh, interesting, like unlike like for millennials, it's a lot from the sense of stability that used to be like important for the previous generations of workforces. It's the sense of belonging. It's the sense of fulfilling the a bigger idea. It's a sense of constant, constantly getting better at something and constantly making the feeling that you're making the world better. That's what matters a lot. And traditional methods, they just break in many of those things. That's why we see a big shift towards the gig economy. That's why we see a lot of people changing their jobs, not not staying for a long time. And uh, it just requires very different approaches both from the technology side and from the approaches in terms of content, in terms of delivery, and in terms of how you how you think about your processes. A lot of good reasons to sort of reevaluate how we do these kind of HR functions. Like things are changing in the big picture, going from a in office to a more distributed workforce, and then you know you can always like personalize your content a little bit better. So that's really interesting. Absolutely. And on the HR functions, I think uh, HR and learning functions will be evolving quite a bit in the near future. I think the skills required for those functions will shift quite a bit as well. Like I think it, like it used to be much more, especially if you look into learning and development, like people who really love education and love to educate others, that was a, an attractive type of position for them. They were like a lot of learning and development has been traditionally about like producing a lot of content 
and also producing a lot of it at a very, and that came, I think, from the traditional vendors, producing it at a very costly way, as if this content is going to live with you for many years to come. But business is changing, our business environment and businesses themselves are changing so rapidly these days that some content that you developed five years ago, like I think it, for many companies, it would be more beneficial to throw that content away than, than to keep reusing it. But because they had invested so much into production of that content before, they often like choose have to choose to stick with it or are afraid to have to invest into production of the content again. So the companies that realize that a lot and they take it, they could see that as, as as an example on the on the YouTube. Like if you look at the YouTube bloggers, it's not about the quality of your content in terms of like it's not about having a perfect light. It's not about having a perfect animation and things like that. It's all about structuring that content correctly. It's all about producing relevant bits and pieces of that content. And it's also all about really addressing the right content at the right time to the right people. So I think what is where it's going to shift from the the skills, like from the content production, it's going to shift a lot into the understanding of analytics and understanding like quantitative, quantitatively where like where you get the most impact for the business. Because traditionally, it's uh, like learning and development has been more of a, the companies have looked at it more as a cost center rather than rather than a revenue generating activity. And the reason for that, it's been extremely difficult to tie completion of the learning modules to the specific business KPIs. And the reason for that is because your business data and your learning data live in completely different places. Learning modules are organized based on a completely different philosophy. They're not necessarily related to specific functions. They're not necessarily related to, to specific situations. They're much more about let's produce a lot of content that, that people will just consume. And that, that can't continue the same way. This is going to change. And I think the all the tools and all the abilities that the current technologies are providing will only support that. Okay. Next, I'm curious about your competitive market. Who's your competition out there and how competitive is the addressable market? Excellent, excellent question. The market is big. Whenever there is a big market, there is lots of competition, different types of competitors, different types of approaches in that competitive market, different verticals that are being attacked as well. So a lot, like if you look at the map of the ecosystem, there is there are a lot of different uh, players and could be learning the, about them like for for years. And of course, it's hard to fit into into one answer. What I would say there are a couple of what I would like to highlight here is a couple of different things. First, historically, from the very early days, we've had such a term and such a trend as learning management systems, and they're still in place. And those are I call them legacy LMS. 
big generally like very large companies like SAP, Cornerstone and many others in that space that have a traditional learning management system that is sometimes very clunky to use, uh, hard to use, but generally like reliable and people feel like you can never go wrong with them and they provide one size fits all. Sometimes they have modern interface, sometimes they have mobile apps, but sometimes very often they don't. But in general, like they are not whenever you're like, if you, if you think of your like corporate training uh, modules when you you work for a corporation, it's like for me, it was never fun to complete any training and learning activity. And it was always a puzzle because like, I love learning new things. I loved my, as you can see in my bio, I love taking classes and getting educated. But the learning modules at work were always like a suffering where you cl- you end up clicking through the buttons just to to be to be in compliance and forget about. That's what we and some more of the modern competitors are trying to fix. And uh, the second category, where I would say a very broad category, is like they're called modern learning platforms. Sometimes you also, some of them, there's a category called learning experience platforms, or LXP, is, as it is also called. Companies like Degreed, for example, or Adcast, or Axonify, as, as well as many others. They generally have brand new look, very modern approach. They utilize micro-learning in a big way where you, as a, as a consumer of learning, consume small bits and pieces of information. They have learning on demand where basically you can, it's not necessarily one size fits all. It's not also data-driven that's personalized, but at least like you can go and search for the, for the right things. They have, they're very good with mobile application. They have mobile applications they have amazing UI UX and everybody has their initial verticals that they've attacked and where they are feel very comfortable and they're doing very well. What I think will be happening is the more verticals different players attack here, the more there's going to be kind of an overlap and competition. Right now it's like these players they they all they're all growing. They're all raising a lot of money. A lot of this money is being pushed on the marketing, on educating the market, which is great for smaller players, including ourselves. But it's it's an excellent it's an excellent thing for us because we have to educate the market as well. And when we were doing it alone before those LXPs came about, it was a much harder thing to do than it is right now when someone else educates the the customer around the market and then you come in and you basically compete on the product where uh, which requires a lot less of the the investment and a lot less of the kind of financial resources and as a result of it like what i think will be happening increased competition among the lxps and i think legacy lms trying to acquire some of the like the consolidation of the market and trying to acquire different players so that they bring new tools new ideas into their very large customer base that is generally not super happy with the traditional lms approach but it's a very corporate layer structure and uh, and they're ready to continue with it as long as it doesn't put them at risk
And then the last where I like to see us, many, many, by the way, like you asked someone on, in a, about categories, they would put us probably in the, in that LXP uh, category. But where I like to see, to think of us, like we are more on the performance enablement platform category, where besides the, all the great things that those modern learning platforms uh, or LXPs offer, we also offer this personalization layer where for us it's the most critical, it's the most important thing because that way you get to provide the right activities to the right people at the right time. And think about companies that have thousands or tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of workforces. How can you provide them a personalized approach if it's not enabled through the data? Okay, so we've established that you have a big market, a very competitive market with lots of players in it. There's a lot of money, a lot of capital at stake. So there's a lot of people competing for that. Can you tell me a little bit more about your competitive advantage in your eyes? Like, please describe the essence of what's innovative about your product. So for us, the biggest innovation, of course, like people ask, what's, what's, what are the best, most exciting things that you have? Like, and exciting things and the innovation that's visible are very sometimes quite different so yeah we also possess like very nice user interface we make sure people are engaged we make sure it's as like i like to say as easy to use as facebook and as flexible to administer as as needed for for the company but those are the things that do not necessarily constitute your competitive advantage. Those are just things that are necessary to compete in this in this day and age. Where we stand out, and I've mentioned it a couple of times already, but I think it's very important to dig deeper into this, is the data loop, those machine learning algorithms that take data, that take performance data from either ERP or CRM or any other back office system that, or like HRM and any other important systems that the company uses. And based on that data, we trigger specific activities to the right people at the right time. That way we get people to do the things that are specifically relevant for them that way, the company gets the advantage that people are actually doing something that will bring value to them. And for the members of the workforce, it's the sense of, oh, this is what I need. It's a sense of fulfillment for the millennials. It's a sense of ability to get to the right place for people who are trying to make the living, who are trying to get better at their jobs, or who are just trying to survive. And as a result, like when you do it at scale, you actually get an ability to, because the data flows in, but the data also flows out. So you get an ability through that data to measure the effectiveness of the, of the learning programs. And that makes, it, makes us stand out quite a bit from the, from the crowd. Because unlike everybody else, we're not measuring the success of our programs just by engagement. But we're measuring how this online engagement has affected the KPIs of the company. So what I like to say sometimes is that if you get 100% of your users to complete 100% of all the activities, but it doesn't move the needle in the KPIs that you're trying to improve, it's actually a dramatic failure. 
So you really need to think like every learning program starts not with the content, not with the production of the content, not even with the learning objectives, but with the business objectives tied to specific KPIs that you're trying to improve. And that way, the chief learning officers, like probably first time in the in history, like get a chance to actually brag about like the success of their programs, not in the sense of how many people they got to complete the programs, but what type of value it brought to the business. And that results in higher uh, learning budgets. That results in uh, CLOs being invited and being treated as an equal player at the, at the executive tables. And that results in really good improvements for the company, really great ROI for the company. And we're helping measure all that. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like how you tied together what you're doing at Rallyware to everything we've talked about up to this point about what the market is like, what millennials need, that sort of thing. So take me back to starting the company. It sounds like you had a lot of business experience, clearly a lot of education, a lot of time spent learning. But why did you start this company? And, and can you tell me more about like what the what the original idea is? I know you mentioned it might have gone through like several iterations, but like what convinced you like this was something you were going to do, start a company? No, it's, it's an excellent question. And I, 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 lo- I love talking about this because this is what's, what's inside you. This is what's your intrinsic motivation. You know, and in many ways, uh, you know, when I see people like kind of like doing like building a company that does like a small thing that changes something really small in a big mechanism. Like I'm trying to understand like kind of what, what drove you to this? How did you get that? Because sometimes it's hard for me to see that like specific, that specific small part is actually the driving force. And then when you get into the stories, you understand like how the personal story and, and the experiences in life of the founder actually have affected and have led them to, to get to that point. So very, very similar thing with myself. Like I was, the way I was inspired about it is we've seen a lot of changes happening, like in the beginning of the, after 2010, a lot of change, uh, changes happening uh, politically and socially, like as you can, uh, you could have seen like with the mobile, with Facebook, with the, all the social media and everything, like some even revolutions were created. And, uh, like if you think of like Egypt, like and like other places in the Middle East, like it's a different question where it all led la- later on and it's different in different countries, but an ability through technology to engage and get a lot of people excited and an ability to get them to do things when they don't have to do those things. That's, that was, that was what was driving me with this idea and with this passion. But what's very important when you're starting the company, like I like to say, people think it's all about the idea and I don't think it is. I think it's much more about, it's not the quality of the idea that gets you there, but is it a solid enough idea and are you communicating it well enough that you're going to get other people excited about it and, and work with you on this? I think that's what, at the very, very early stage, that's what separates it. Like if I hadn't convinced my co-founder and some other people uh, at, at that point that this is something interesting, I don't think we would have gone anywhere. 
Like, yes, we've made a lot of pivots uh, since then, and we're completely not doing, at least in terms of like industries and where we're going, we're completely not doing what we were looking at before. But at the same time, that vision and that excitement and that drive, it stayed with us. Interestingly, in our case, I think it's, it's also product vision, which was, uh, which was pretty cool. But uh, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be just uh, even the product. The product could be completely different. What's very important is to be energized yourself about uh, how what you want to do and how to change the world. Not necessarily that you will change it in the very same way, but you have that drive to do something and then energize others. And once you do that, you have a team, you start working on this, and then go learn, learn, learn. Basically, our first summer, we were uh, doing it out of uh, MIT incubator uh, in Boston. And what we did, we were basically at that point, like we were looking, as I said, like to build a social network for social and political organizing. So we talked to probably like, like several dozen of social and political and community organizers. And wanted to learn what is it specifically that, what do you do offline? to get people excited and how to bring it uh, online. And that was very, very interesting. And until we got to one person who was uh, running a very big uh, organizing program for a large uh, political organization in Washington, D.C., who didn't want to, like we met him at, like, I met him at the conference. He didn't even want to listen to me uh, for two days of the conference. And then at the end of the second day, uh, he basically told me out of respect to you because you attended the conference uh, that we're organizing, uh, I'll give you five minutes, uh, meet me in the bar at the hotel. We met and two and a half hours later, he basically told me like, you're smart in technology, you have a great vision, you have no clue how to organize people. You come visit me in DC. I have a I have a trip. I go on uh, on the field. Like I I will be doing a, a bunch of lectures for two weeks. You're going with me. All expenses uh, will will cover all your expenses, and after that we'll uh, we'll build the right product for us, and we'll be your first pilot customer. Awesome. Well, yeah. Tell tell me more. I mean, uh, my next question here is like, what are some of the key milestones? But this sounds like a key milestone. Like, what was the result of that trip? Tell me tell me all about it. The result of that trip is basically we learned a lot more. We actually learned what is going to be good and easy for us, and we learned what is going to be very, very difficult for us. We learned we can deliver an amazing product for that guy, and that product will probably be scalable to other organizations as well. And that's exactly what we did. But we also learned during the trip that going to organization, from organization to organization like that and this organization happened to have good bu- big budgets and understanding what the technology importance of technology but a lot of them don't we started thinking oh where else could this product be applicable as well and while launching that very first customer and proving the use of technology and proving the ability to to be successful in delivering uh, highly scalable uh, highly complex implementations while having four people on the team back then. We actually also were figuring out like where are we going to go in terms of marketing later on? Are we going to go to a lot of similar organizations? 
Yes, maybe in the short term. But uh, where else do we need to go to get those proof points, those data points, in order to understand that we're not we're not going to be in the industry that is not pro- that is unlikely to provide us enough abilities to scale. And at that point, we realized that we saw we we started doing our research and we stumbled upon some of the industries in the private sector that really that are utilizing large distributed workforces and are having trouble with uh, motivating those people, are having trouble with getting people to do things. Like a CEO of a large uh, multinational, multi-billion dollar organization wakes up in the morning and relies on... uh, on uh, a lot of independent distributors selling their product, but he can't tell those independent distributors that you have to sell my product. So how do you get them actually more excited? How do you get them more engaged? How do you get them to the point where they feel, okay, I want to be part of it and, and I'm growing here. And that was the next kind of next milestone is where do where do we get from here? Like what is going to be our industry where we can expand and where we can scale and at that point i think like the next fast forwarding a year and a half it doesn't happen overnight we got to launch some of the biggest players in that industry so really quickly how long was it between you know coming up with the seed idea starting the company and then having that realization of it sounds like you did a a, a bit of a pivot and, and and now you're kind of really going on this track of addressing distributed workforces and, and supercharging them, as you say. So how long did it take to go from that original concept to this, you know, really what they call a hair on fire kind of need before you found that? Was it years? Was it months? How, how long did you spend? Excellent question. So, so the original idea, from original idea to starting working on it full time, it took, took, me about, uh, took me and the team about four months. And I have to say, like, as brilliant of an idea uh, you have, like, if you're not dedicated yourself fully to it, it's really, really hard to make anything work and to make really significant progress on it. But after that, it's all about finding the product market fit. Well, also building the product based on that. Hopefully it happens in parallel. Hopefully you don't build the product before you actually understand what would be the the product market fit. But what I like to say for us, it took, it's an ongoing process. You always look for, you always are finding your product market fit. Like whoever says they have a product market fit completely figured out, they're either like completely like just copying something else. And even in that case, it's still, it's still hard or they're just not realizing how much more they could do. It takes time. And I would say like finding product market fit is more of an art and there is no clear timeline that somebody should be shooting for. It's just hard. Sometimes you see it right away. Sometimes it takes you years to get to that initial product market fit. What is not an art is once you have that initial market fit is actually scale, uh, like getting your sales, getting your marketing, getting your customer success and product and, and everything else in place. That part is execution and that 
a lot of it is actually science and that's the time when you need to bring the right people you need to bring people who have done it before who have passion who have great ideas and who are highly motivated so at that point you can really scale your business and that's where like the timelines become very important all right so tell me more about your customers how did you find your first customers and then who are your most important customers today Excellent. Good question. So in terms of the very first customers, it's you basically like when you're just figuring your product market fit, you're just starting on your product. Like, you know, you you have to beg whoever you can to become your customer. That was very, very old back in the day. And, you know, if someone says that they've got the customers just by, you know, just because they had all the right channels right from the beginning, they're probably exaggerating. But once you have those first customers, it's very important to figure out like how where do you go next? How do you how do you get that repeatable sales process? How do you, once you have a product market fit, once you have great uh, first case studies, how do you bring leads into the door? Where, what's your specific target segment? What is, what's your messaging? What's your pricing? How are you, what's your sales cycle? And all the things like that. So for us, the initial vertical that we entered, like if you think we've distributed workforces, like a big vertical has been companies in the in the direct selling world. Like think about like also known as multi-level marketing. Like think of like Avons of the world, Nuskins and uh, Pampered Chef and so forth. So we've had a lot of success because it's a lot of people all over the world, like with, uh, doing a lot of work with the independently and you need to really train them and help like with retention. Retention has been traditionally a very difficult part for, for, for that industry. And for us, like what it was, like we got our first customer too, like through some personal connections and some advisors that helped us to get there. But once we had the good right case studies with them and we achieved the right results, we basically it's all about connecting through building your marketing machine. And there like different channels have helped us and some have been stronger at early times and others are stronger now. But with traditional, like we've used all the different channels, like outbound email campaigns, a lot of content marketing, building partnerships with different industry players, conferences and events, obviously not this year, but uh, traditionally have been very helpful for B2B enterprise sales. It's just like different. Those are different ways, different channels to get leads into, into the door. I would say early on outbound has been has been our primary focus and we got some really good exciting large enterprise deals out of it which is surprising because I keep hearing from many people like they get surprised because you don't get big contracts out of outbound but uh, I think we we were able to do it and I would uh, I would challenge the thinking that it's not possible to do but at some point, like outbound becomes less important than, than other channels. I think twofold, like people know about you better and like you can, uh, so you can, uh, they find out about you through other channels. Also, I think in general, outbound, uh, like it was very popular about 
and it was getting like extremely interesting about like four or five years ago but now i think it's just like people's people's mailboxes are just too too full of the emails getting different products so i think like just targeted segmentation and targeted marketing is a much more interesting and useful way to get customers into the door yeah along those lines and like kind of targeting what you're offering towards your customers what what is it about your product what what elements of your product offering contribute to value creation the most for your customers like what's the big value proposition and i have an idea from from this from what we've talked about already but go ahead tell me yeah i think biggest value it's a very quantitative very like as much you know as traditional learning platforms are about like oh we get so many so much beautiful exciting content it's a beautiful platform oh look how how excited people are and we get all that which is which is great but it's all about measuring your performance measuring the specific kpis that are important for the company in our case we do it in a very hands-on way we have a very hands-on customer success process and analytics team is actually very working very closely with our customer success team but in our case like in the case where it's a it's a sales use case it's a a lot of it is about sales productivity. It's a lot of it is about retention, time for onboarding the new salespeople, and in certain cases, recruiting. So we basically measure those KPIs and like I gave them to you in a more generic way, but for different companies, they're much more granular. And at that point, we, we basically like it's a dashboard where we see how these things are going. We, we basically connect the completion data on the platform uh, to the business performance data of these people and we uh, see we see the effect of uh, completion of specific specific milestones specific modules to the to the business kpis and once you have the business kpis of course you can calculate the roi on those initiatives Interesting. On average, we see like about 24x ROI for our customers, which is which is a lot more than like in many cases than they're hoping for, and uh, it's it's exciting. Yeah, that's a pretty big uh, multiplier you got there. Tell me about how you make money. Who pays? How do they pay? What's your pricing mechanism? So it's pretty standard in our case. We're a software as a service platform. With the software as a service, enterprise, we charge uh, per, per user pricing. We do have, like in certain cases, like we do have the minimum and the maximum for our monthly pricing sometimes, uh, so that to provide the visibility for the budget for our clients. A lot of the larger clients, they get to, like you could have your per seat pricing, but in the end of the day, they would like to have an all-in enterprise license. And in many cases, uh, we do that. There is no, it's a very traditional SaaS enterprise pricing model. There's no innovation or reinventing the wheel from our side. I think maybe with one caveat, like we are the implementation part. 
which is interesting because it often like our implementations they take about three months to get the system ready because we go very deeply into the processes of the company and into their initiatives so what we basically do like in terms of the pricing there we used to do like to charge implementation fees but those fees used to be like very like they would be difficult like for cost like for customers to explain sometimes and on the other hand they would have been they're they're hard for us because like you know if implementation goes longer and you actually haven't launched by that because of the doesn't matter whose fault most cases it would be something that's slower on the customer side what happens as a result like we actually don't get to our subscription revenue which is the key for us so one innovation we did like we basically waived the implementation fees but we're starting we're doing some sort of service fees that is like your minimum subscription from day one of the contract signing and it seems to have aligned the incentives both for us as a vendor and as as well as for the customers all right um, interesting pricing model. Last question here is going to be about key resources. And I want to know what key resources does your value proposition need? And, and that's for you as a company. Like, what does Rallyware need? Is it physical or human? Like capital is the word I want to use. Is it physical or human? Or is it more capital? Do you need money? Do you need uh, really smart coders? What is it you need Rallyware to take the next step great question when you talk to startups they usually say we need everything so but but in general like to on a more serious note i think for us like we uh, we've been like we've always been growing like in a very sustainable way in a very lean way so in a sense we're not like a a traditional silicon valley startup that goes raises like a lot of money and then tries to see like if it's if it's going to stick or not like we've uh, we've been very lean with our fundraising and we've been very responsible with the uh, with our spending traditionally and that got us to the point when we were basically were financially very stable and where it's a great position to be especially this year especially in the beginning of this year when we didn't know like covid happened to be more on the like to expedite the positive trends that we've been on. But back in February, we didn't know where the situation was going to go. And we knew that like, if we had to go fundraising, that would have been hard, given the environment. But being that, that financially savvy and financially responsible uh, was actually was a, was a big plus for us. So we were never too worried about what was going to happen. And interestingly, like the bigger challenge this year was like, how do we scale to meet the demand rather than how do we, how do we survive? But at that point, nobody could do it. In our, so if we talk about our resources, we're basically like uh, our growth depends, like we're constantly improving our products. So we're constantly adding more people to the technical team, but a big, also a big part is we're providing a very hands-on service. And like our customer success, like it's it's a very way, a special way of thinking. But uh, we, and we train our customer success managers, and we always they work very very closely with the with the customers. So those are very important frontline resources that are gener- uh, mainly from important from our part. 
obviously in all parts, like as our team is growing in all parts of our team, their their needs and their their specific opportunities for growth. So if anyone is interested uh, in the story and wants to join Rallower, always always email me. We're, we're always happy to look at interesting people. But in general, like we're also, of course, we're a product company, we're a software company, so we're scaling with the product and obviously the revenues uh, as it should be in any SaaS build business like the revenues are scaling faster than your than the uh, than the team need, uh, than the needs for the team to scale but but also it has there's always a very fine line like you know in in the silicon valley language you always need to say we need very few people and we need and and the product will grow amazingly well I don't like to say that because uh, that way you're compromising on the service, on the quality of the service to the customers. So we do need to, we do grow with people, like we do need great, strong, uh, strong people. We are scaling very fast, but at the same time, we're not scaling at all costs. We're scaling while making sure our customers is very happy. And I think that's going to be the trend in the years to come. Uh, so uh, it's going to be much more about how you grow as a business rather than how do you make a, necessarily like an overnight success. Yeah, well, I hope you're right. That's a great answer. Before we get out of here, what's the best way for the listener to reach you and maybe learn a little bit more about Rallyware? I am at, my email is george at rallyware.com. Mm-hmm. Feel free to write to me. Like I, I read all my emails and I'll be happy. I'll be happy to answer any questions you might have. And thank you very much and uh, for for this opportunity. Yeah. All right, listener. I hope this reaches you well. I hope you got a lot of value out of this, like uh, I know I did. We'll, we're going to end the show there. If you liked our show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating. George, thanks for joining today. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Oleg. It's a pleasure.